I want to be honest with you. We struggled about whether to bring the growth show back right now. To start with, growth. It's right there in our show's title, but it's a hard, almost impossible topic to talk about these days. Changing, adapting, surviving. These are the words that folks have on their mind, professionally and personally. So we took a step back. We thought about what growth really means during a time of uncertainty and what we collectively need to look forward to. We knew we wanted to hear from business owners in real time, how they're adapting, how they're taking care of customers, employees, and their businesses as a whole, from the necessary to the unexpected. So we're bringing you all new episodes, and we're releasing them as quickly as we can, because so much changes day to day, and every day matters. Hopefully, by hearing honest conversations from people facing the very same challenges as you, we can offer ideas, maybe even just the spark of an idea, that can help you and your business respond. Because even if it might feel like it, we're never really alone. And it's stories that bring us together most. So with that, I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. Listoke Distillery is a gin and distillation school located just north of Dublin, Ireland. But even in its pastoral setting, the company has been largely affected by today's difficult and uncertain times. Owner Bronna Conlon is no stranger to either. After a decade in healthcare working as a nurse and midwife, she left to pursue a passion in distillation. She's also a breast cancer survivor, something that's left her at an even more increased risk right now. But this life experience has given her a unique perspective on leadership through this time. She's led with empathy and immediacy. Listoke, within mere hours, moved production from gin to hand sanitizer, meeting the needs of frontline workers and the general public. I talked with Brana about how she made that decision, her advice on what's important for leaders to focus on right now, and we even daydream a little bit about the cocktails we'll share in the future. It lifted my spirits, and I hope it lifts yours. Okay, this is obviously not ideal situation. Um, I think w- if if I had my choice on this, we would be having this conversation at the end of the day at a nice bar over a nice cocktail. So <laughs> in that imaginary world, just yes. give that to me right now. What are we drinking? <laughs> so we're drinking a beautiful Lestoke cocktail or even we could just drink it as a traditional Lestoke gin and tonic nice. with just a, a peel of, of orange, some nice juniper berries, a good tonic and always good company. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have juniper berries in my in my quarantine home right now, I would be uh, pretty happy about that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. <laughs> I've got hundreds of kilos off it, so I'm not doing too bad. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> so um, let's just start off. I'd love it if you could just tell me a little bit about Listoke. What was the idea that sort of started it all? Um, well, I suppose that when my kids were younger, I made jam. So when the kids grew up, I made gin. So <laughs> I was kind of putting myself out there to try and be a good mum, you know, give them jam when they're kids and gin when they're yeah. older. Um, but I suppose... Just they, evolve along yeah, with them. Yeah, evolve along, exactly. Um, I, th- I suppose the big thing for me was I could I actually saw the the, the opportunity in the market um, that it was... that gin was becoming very huge again mm-hmm. and then we also had the opportunity of a gin school so we opened the first gin school in Ireland and that's been a f- fantastic success for us 
prior to this, to, to, to COVID-19, like we had launched in New York. We were about to launch in the rest of the States. We were about to launch as well into China. So, um, yeah. So you have that kind of momentum. Let me talk a little bit more about sort of the, the shape of this business, because it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting twofold approach. So it's not just gin. It's also the school, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. teaching other people how to distill. Why is education so important for you and the business? Um, well, I suppose the educational part is it's twofold. Um, number one, it's, it's absolute fun. So there'd be, you know, so people have a three hour afternoon with us. Um, everybody has their own copper pot still and everybody. And we've about 50 botanicals that you would choose from. Yeah. So you choose your botanicals and then you make your own gin according to your own flavours with us, you know, overseeing it to make sure you don't make something terrible, which has happened an odd time. <laughs> But uh, the biggest thing for us is a marketing tool because in real terms, anybody that comes to our gin school, they're drinking Listoke gin. They're leaving with a bottle of Listoke in their hands with this Listoke branding right. and their own name on the label. And then they, they become brand ambassadors for us. Yeah. And most people don't realize that you could actually make gin and drink it that afternoon. Really? Um, we don't advise that because you've already had plenty of Listoke. But, <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's an easy, it's an easy win because alternatively it's whiskey and that has to sit for three years. But that has worked as a very, very strong marketing tool for us. It's a very social event. Yeah. I feel like I would imagine that is the piece, the heart and soul that feels most absent right now uh, in this time Mm -hmm. of social distancing and needing to be shut down. What does the distillery look like right now today what's different about it oh well today we've, we've we've had to bring in massive stainless steel tanks um to house the amount of hand sanitizer that we're producing we're lucky in that we do the the hand sanitizer that we've gone with uh we are still yeah. distilling so we are still producing in theory a gin in that you still have the lovely smells but better than that the actual physical hand sanitizer itself has gone through the distillation process so there's natural um, oils in the sanitizer so it's much better for your hands and for your feel in that um, it's not what I was expecting at all but having said that we've been very very fortunate and we you know we've been able to stay keep the place open we've been able to continue employing our staff and we've been able to move along you know really quite well from that point of view as well which is great so I want to dig in a little bit there and talk about that decision so you made the decision as you mentioned to sort of pivot from gin to start to produce hand sanitizer when the crisis happened. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you came to that decision? Well, it, was, it kind of came to me, I think, more than me trying to make one. <laughs> I suppose really what happened was on the Thursday, the, the 12th of March, I was actually going on a, bringing um, some people on a visit to, to a couple of farms that are beside us that we, that we use a product for. But because there was so much talk about the, the COVID-19 and what was happening with it, I felt that, you know, f- for my own sake, because I've actually got a history of, of breast cancer, which I before it gets survived and I'm, I'm doing very well. Yeah. Um, but because of that, even I just sort of thought, OK, I need to keep myself safe. So I was just saying to my husband one of the, that morning, I said, you know, really, you know, I should take some sanitizer with me. But because we had none. Um, so right. we just looked it up to see what to do. And we knew that we had to have over 60 percent alcohol to be able to killed COVID off so we went and we made some that morning and I brought a couple of e-jars with me that I just picked up and hmm. arrived at the tour with the bus and uh, was passing it around every time anybody got off or on the bus everybody was san- sanitizing and saying god this is a great idea what yeah what kind of reactions did you get it was it was hilarious because it, was, it smells like gin <laughs> so everybody was sort of having fun with it and sort of said oh yeah you know my hands have never drank more gin in their lives type of thing <laughs> 
I suppose the big thing was that there was quite a number of older people there and immediately we, I could see the importance of it and, and the concern. And I, I think prior to that, I hadn't really sat back and thought, you know, what is this all about and what's going to happen next? And I hadn't thought of the impact yeah. it would have had on my business, which it would have um, absolutely, there'd be no business at this stage if we hadn't have done what we did. Yeah. So on the Friday, I contacted our local revenue office and said, look, I think I can do something to help you know, we can make sanitizer. Are you okay with this? How quick were you able to make that shift? Uh, literally in a matter of half an hour when I was told that I had the go ahead. I immediately got on to a company in Dublin uh, to see that they have containers. Got into the car and drove into Dublin and they were closing at four o'clock and we arrived at 30 seconds to four. <laughs> they were standing outside. Wow. But we did it. We picked them up, brought them home and on Saturday morning, we just put it out there that we were producing hand sanitizer, and before we knew what had happened, yeah, there were literally were hundreds of people queuing at our distillery to get stuff. What did that feel like? To be honest, Megan, it was frightening because people were so scared, and I just yeah. we just didn't know what was happening ourselves. Like we sort of and we were, we couldn't produce fast enough to sell. Uh, we were giving away yeah. literally hundreds of liters of it, you know, to 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 front line, and by by lunchtime on Sunday, everything was sold out. Did other distilleries in Ireland start doing it as well? So they did afterwards. So we had got a bit of publicity on the Monday and then by, and so the Tuesday was St. Patrick's Day and Wednesday then Jameson announced that they were supplying product for sanitizer. So there's quite a few now doing it. Yeah. When Jameson said it, everybody went, oh dear. And I just said, no, I'll never ever be able to produce enough. Like the more people can make it, the safer for everybody. Yeah. And that really was, it wasn't competitive. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, let's just do this. We need, we need to be able to make and we need to be able to supply adequate for everywhere. Like with the army, the, the police, the ambulance services, with all the homeless shelters. You know, there were so many people needing it. Not, not, not even just the public who, who felt so frightened as well. Yeah. It was, um, it was heartrending, to be honest. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a pretty, pretty rough first two weeks, two to three weeks of it. Because we could just see the fear. Yeah. Did you notice a shift in your team and your family, you know, during those two week periods? Totally. Yeah. Everybody was trying to work and be happy. But at the same time, we were social distancing. Me especially because I had a history of cancer. Like we were meeting the Mm -hmm. front line every day because there were people coming to the door. So it was really to make sure that that was secure and safe and people were keeping their distance and you know, that I wasn't being exposed, you know, or anybody else. Yeah. I, I'd love to talk about that a little bit, if if you don't mind, because you do have a personal story and sort of a personal history here with the breast cancer, of, as you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Why was it important for you to make this pivot for the company? And how did being in a more susceptible health condition influence the way that you approach this? I suppose there's two ways of looking at that one, Megan. One of the big things for me probably is, you know, as a nurse, I would be, you know, aware of people. And I think really, you know, having gone into business, it was a huge challenge for me saying to people, no, that's not right. You need to do it right for me to pay you for it type of thing. Um, So I think really when this happened, it was kind of bringing me back to a large degree. Yeah. 
Uh, I personally haven't felt any fear. I haven't personally felt, oh gosh, this could have, I could get this and it could be terrible. I, you know, and I think it's, I'm surprised that that hasn't got come in on me. I haven't been concerned for us. You know, the cancer that I had was genetic. So I have the BRCA1. Mm. And um, so because of that, then at least I felt quite safe and I still do feel safe. And um, and it's, it's a number of years ago now. And I mean, my son and her, his girlfriend came back up from Cork. So in the end up, we've now got six adults living in the house full time because of this. Yeah. Um, in itself could bring in its own challenges. But again, I think because everybody's working. <laughs> you need the gin again. We, you do need gin. Gin for sanity, as I keep saying. But <laughs> um, but even for, you know, at the weekends and that, like we're still all together. Yeah. But it's working. And it's when we've we've made a huge effort to, to work together on it and uh I'm quite humbled by everything that's happened and how it's been done. And at the same time, it's uh, it's kind of frightening too, you know? Yeah, now I understand that. Mm-hmm. Aside from your personal health um, challenges, you have one of the most unique backgrounds that I've ever encountered for someone who ended up distilling alcohol, which is that you started in nursing, as you mentioned. Can yeah. you take me back to the beginning of your career and that decision to pursue nursing first? Yeah. When I was finishing up my last exams in school and we were applying to colleges and that, I'd always said I'd like to be a nurse. But at the same time, I was really interested in food. So not knowing what was going to happen, I applied to both a a nursing programme in in Belfast and also hotel management and catering. And I got accepted into both of them and the both of them started the exact same October and I literally, literally took a 50p and flipped it. Stop. Yeah, one flick, a 150p, nursing came up and I just said, that's it, I'm going to nurse. I'm not even going to think about anything else, I'm just going to do it. No regrets, just decide and move forward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll flip, I don't know, maybe why wow, things could have been different. I loved it when I was doing and I loved nursing um, and an awful lot of people that have nursed, I mean, when I went into the food industry, the number of people I came across that had previously been nurses was amazing but I think really what what happened back then was you know there was kind of like a 10 year cutoff Uh, you know if you stayed after 10 years you generally stayed for good and if you didn't you know the 10 years sort of would kind of cut it off so I had my eldest daughter just before I finished up and then I, I was able to go job sharing and I started into doing some catering myself. So I just was doing like small parties and private business catering and things like that. And then I started doing shows and making product to sell. And then the rest is history. It just went on from that. Does it feel like two different chapters of your career or has some of your perspective from nursing in your career in public health filtered into this current role heading up this distillery? Well, I suppose I used to maintain that, you know, whenever you trained as a nurse, you weren't trained in business, which is very true. <laughs> and it was very, very difficult to, to do that changeover for me. Um, with this this incident now, and I haven't been sick myself, um, I would see yeah. nursing as a very, very different ball game. I have huge respect for anybody in the front line, huge respect for anybody doing doing that job. I suppose my kids would be a classic for this and they would just turn around and say, you know, Whenever we were sick, you didn't bring us to the doctors because you thought we would be fine. So maybe I'm a bit, yeah. bit more complacent, <laughs> having been a nurse. Um, but the kids are fine too. They all grew up in their grand. There's nothing wrong with them. I think for me, the biggest part of it was is, is the ability to cope and to understand. And, and, and I mean, again, back to just the beginning, the middle of March when this whole thing started. Like there'd been so much talk about it with China and, you know, it was always going to be it'll never happen us. And then it was here yeah. and it, the, that 
that fear and that fright, I, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the people coming to the door that were just, you know, just so worried. And um, and I, I could really feel my background coming back to me on that one, especially, yeah. um, you know, and even chatting with them and talking with them and encouraging them to keep going and whatever. Have these shifts away from priorities to address the urgent need, has it meant a closer look at your finances? Are you just living kind of month by month right now to to carry through the crisis or, you know, are you not even at the point of being able to think yet about the long term? Mm-hmm. So the gin school immediately had to close. So that was yeah. that source of income was gone and there was it had been booked out to the summertime. So that all has to be still dealt with. But um, from a financial point of view, it's actually but it's actually built us up a lot stronger than we had been uh, because we, we literally were in the process of doing an investment drive. So at least this way, you know, we were able to say, right, okay, we can do this. We're able to pay wages, pay our rent, buy our materials and get and get the product out. So um, so it has helped us and it has actually saved the business, I would say. Yeah, that's actually a, a nice pivot. I, I wonder if you worry much about smaller craft distillers in general and kind of how they're going to fare coming out of this. Yeah, it's going to be very, very hard. I mean, especially uh, distilleries that are producing whiskey. Because whiskey is so expensive to produce, and it takes such a huge investment, mm. um, there are a lot of there are a lot of gin brands out there that aren't uh, that can just sit sit idle for want of a better word, in that they don't maybe distill themselves. They, they somebody produces for them, yeah. So some of those should be should be okay. But there's a huge struggle. There's a huge struggle for for not just distilleries. I mean, breweries have the same problems. Yeah, beer takes a couple of weeks to create. It does. Right. Yeah, it does. But the consumer isn't, ba- you know, the last thing on their list yeah. is beer. And la- it's a premium beer or a premium gin. That's the last thing in the list. Yeah. I know sales have gone up certainly in retail, but uh, it's it's not it's not in premium. It's just in get me by products, you know. I mean, the big companies are suffering. So if the big companies are suffering, certainly the small companies will suffer. Yeah. When we do eventually come back and restaurants are open, just mm-hmm. the palate and the drinks that we drink and the opportunities that are out there, it just feels like it's going to look very different than it did before. Totally. Uh, uh, we're, we're looking at a totally, totally different world in general. Um, we're looking at yeah. people much more, well, I would like to think much more concerned for others. Uh, I think there'll be a lot more empathy out there. But also, people won't just be walking in and hugging, you know, gosh, Gosh knows the the elbow shake is going to become the norm. Um, everywhere you go, there'll be hand sanitizers. That's going to happen, you know, into yeah. kids, into schools, yeah. into restaurants, into shops. Everywhere you go, and then the numbers of people that can go in are going to be reduced. So that that'll challenge bars and and restaurants because you know you're dependent on your covers, you know, your your people coming in to be able to make money. But if you can only take half the amount of people in because you have to social distance them then it'll be very, very hard for an awful lot of people to stay open. Um, yeah. And the other big thing, I don't know if it's, if it's happened with you over there, but my goodness, here, everybody's starting to cook and grow vegetables. Right. You yeah. know, there's so much of that. Uh, so people, yeah, they, you know, they'll, they'll still go out, but they'll not probably want to go as much. And people aren't even going to have the disposable income to, you know, to, to go out. So I think we're, I think we're facing a, a huge challenge. Um, I don't think there'll be anybody that will be affected by this one. Yeah. So my final question for you, Brana, is, um, you know, there's many people that are listening to this, business owners, business leaders, 
who are just faced with very difficult decisions mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And when I think about the immensity and the quickness with which you and your team uh, made really momentous decisions over the last, God, it's only been two months. What's been most helpful for you in making decisions when it counts? Well, the single most helpful has definitely been the support of my team. Um, my husband works with me. The kids are now working with us um, and my business partner mm-hmm. uh, and his wife. Like, you know, we we really are considerate of each other and tuned in. And, you know, um, and I think an awful lot of that extra pressure has been taken off me because of that support that I've been able to do right. my job and still function and think as a business person without absolutely breaking my heart every day. Um, there's so much anxiety out there. There are so many people with businesses that are facing horror stories. And I think really, if I had to say anything to anybody, um, and I suppose it was my favourite my favorite comment when I, was, when I was in chemotherapy as well, you know, sometimes it's not even a tunnel, never mind the light at the end of it. But ultimately, we do get back there. And ultimately, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and you know, something else will come up. And, you know, the big thing is to believe in yourself still and just not be totally knocked back by everything. Um, like, we get knocked back all the time. And we just have to dust down and get up and go again. I think that's the biggest challenge. It's the hardest thing to do. But yeah. support's a big thing. Um, and lean on it and lean on people because that's, that's what's very important. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Brana, and for everything you do and the folks at Listoke. Thank you very much, Megan. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown, with music from Tyler Litwin and Synchronize. We're running a slightly different schedule this season, so be sure to subscribe to the show now. That way you'll get all new episodes delivered to your podcast feed as soon as they're released. Before we go, I just want to say... Stay safe and be kind to one another. We're all in this together. Thanks for listening.